If you have your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 2, believe it or not, we're finishing chapter 2 today. It's only taken us six months to get through the first two chapters of Philippians. We're flying through this book. Uh, But today we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 30, the the last few verses of chapter 2. And similar to last week, this might be a passage that you're unfamiliar with. Uh, I think Pastor Matt said last week that the passage he was covering, nobody's favorite verse was in that passage. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at a man that perhaps some of y'all have never even heard of before, um, and his name is Epaphroditus. How many of you have heard of Epaphroditus? Okay, about 10% of you, so that's good, y'all. Y'all should be all the more attentive today because you'll be learning about someone new. But, you know, to me, this is the joy of what we do here at Destiny, of of preaching through entire books of the Bible, is it it gives us a chance to touch on texts that don't often get preached at many churches around the world. Many churches like to do topical sermons and just touch on a few things in the Bible, but we like to cover the whole Bible here at Destiny Church, and so... Many weeks that'll bring us to a text like today that maybe you've read many times before and kind of glanced through and didn't really take a minute to think about this passage. And so that's what we're going to do today. And so why don't we go ahead and stand as we read our passage this morning in Philippians chapter 2. Stand for the reading of the Word of God. And starting in verse 25... Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also On me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, I thank you for the time that we've already had together, spending time in your presence, worshiping the Almighty God, the Creator of all things, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, I pray over these next few minutes as we open your word and and study this passage, God, that we would just have a respect for your word we would understand how privileged we are to be reading your word this morning. Lord, that we would remember those that literally sacrificed their lives so that we could have the Bible translated into English. That we wouldn't take lightly what we're doing this morning, that we get to read and study your word. Lord, may you quicken us by your Holy Spirit today so that we can understand the things of you. And soften our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. You may be seated. So before we look at what this passage is saying today, I'd like to give you a little bit of context on where we're at. And I'm sure all of y'all are familiar by now in Philippians that Paul is writing this letter in prison in Rome. And he was the, the way this prison was set up, it was sort of like a house arrest where he could have visitors come and visit with him and fellowship with him. But he wasn't provided food. He wasn't provided clothing. So in order to receive these things, he needed someone to give them to him or else he would starve or he would freeze. In one of his letters, you see him asking for one of the members to bring him a coat because the winter's coming and he doesn't want to freeze. And unfortunately, this was before the days of Venmo and the Cash App and Apple Pay where the, the members of the Philippian church couldn't just you know, send him some money or Amazon Prime him a, a coat. Unfortunately, they had to travel the 800-mile trek to send him these things. This would have been a, a six-week long journey over rough ter terrain to take these supplies and this offering to Paul. And so the Philippian church, they hear that he's in need, and so they assign Epaphroditus to be the one to take these supplies to Paul. And so more than likely, a group of people traveled with him because to go alone on a journey like this would be extremely dangerous. It was dangerous enough to go as a group, but to go by yourself would be very dangerous. We saw that in the parable with the Good Samaritan. The, the man that traveled alone was attacked by robbers, and so they would often travel in groups. And so Epaphroditus was the one selected to lead up this expedition. And we know this, not from this text in chapter 2, but in Philippians 4.18, towards the end of the chapter, Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the things you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And so we know that that's what Epaphroditus was doing, and we know that's why he was there with Paul. So who was this man, Epaphroditus? Well, he's only mentioned in these two chapters in Philippians. And his name actually means belonging to or favored by Epaphrodite. And Epaphrodite was the Greek goddess of love. And so just by his name, we can deduce that his parents were idol worshipers, that they worshipped the god Epaphrodite. He was named after this Greek goddess, but through the ministry of Paul and the Philippian church, he was converted. And so Epaphroditus was a Gentile who had been converted through the ministry of this church. And from what was assigned to him, we can know that he was a trustworthy man. He was a man that could be trusted. He was a man that could be depended on. He was a man that was reliable. Because you wouldn't send this offering, you wouldn't send these supplies 800 miles across rough terrain over a six-week journey with someone that you didn't trust in your church. You know, 
Those of you who are here for the first time today, welcome, but if we needed to send an offering with someone, we, we probably wouldn't pick you to go and, and do it. More than likely, Epaphroditus was someone well-respected in the church. And somewhere along the journey, he appears to have come down with an illness, and we're not sure what, where the timeline was with that, if it was shortly after they left, if it was right before he got to Rome, or if it was as he got to Rome. But imagine that, you know, being Epaphroditus, knowing what's been assigned to you, taking these gifts to the apostle Paul, and then getting sick along the way. I imagine him getting ready to go and being so excited, and then, you know, his throat starts to get a little scratchy as he's going, and his, his health just goes down from there. But someone from his traveling group must have gone back to Philippi and told the Philippian church that Epaphroditus had gotten sick because we read in this passage that really the main reason he wants to go back is because he's heard that the church has heard that he's gotten ill and he wants to go back to show them that he's okay because he cared about the church. But more than likely Epaphroditus was the one who delivered this letter that we have in this book today back to the Philippian church as Paul wrote the letter and he sent it back with Epaphroditus. And so you might be wondering why is it that we have this account in Scripture? Why is it that Paul thought it was necessary to include this in Philippians? Surely the Philippian church would have known that Epaphroditus was going back to them when he showed up with the letter. So why is it that he thought it was necessary to include this portion of the text? And also, why include it in the middle of the book? Usually, Paul wraps up things and kind of talks about clerical issues at the end of his letters. He does his final greetings and say hello to so-and-so for me. He does this at the end of his letters. But here, in the middle of Philippians, we have this account. There's a couple of reasons that I think Paul does this. And he, he starts by telling us the kind of man that Epaphroditus is. He starts by telling us all the different character qualities that he has and how important he is to Paul. But surely the Philippian church knew this. As I already said, they knew what kind of a man he was because they wouldn't have sent just anybody on this journey. But I think the first reason that Paul includes this text is because he cared about the well-being of this church. You see, Epaphroditus was expected to stay with Paul for a period of time to minister to him and to be there with him, sort of as a ministry partner. And with him showing back sooner than expected, that could have raised some concerns about him to the church. They could have assumed that he had given up on the task, that he got to Rome and started feeling sick and tapped out because it was too hard for him. The people in the church could have doubted, perhaps. They, they might have thought, well, we sent the wrong guy. He, he just quit when times got tough. They could have labeled him as a quitter. They could have said that he was unfaithful, someone who gave up when there was opposition. And, and this could have led to division and friction in the church. And Paul didn't want that to happen. Paul cared about this church. Paul loved the Philippian church. 
In Philippians 4.1, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and my crown. This Philippian church was near and dear to Paul, and he didn't want to see them be divided by Epaphroditus coming back early and them just having to take his word for why he was coming back early. So he wanted to include this in the letter so they knew firsthand from the apostles' account why it was that Epaphroditus was coming back early. And then the second thing that I think is why, especially it's in the middle of Philippians, is because Timothy, in this account, in this portion of the text, verses 19 through 30, we see him talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus. These two men were the book of Philippians in action. Paul had just, in chapters 1 and 2, talked about what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And then Epaphroditus and Timothy were two living examples of what he had just been writing about. For example, in Philippians 1.27, he says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then in, in chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So, so you can see where this is describing Timothy and Epaphroditus. He goes on to say, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so after Paul is talking about these things, he sees this, this opportunity to highlight two men who are living this out. And so I'd like to take a deeper look now at how Paul describes Epaphroditus to the church. The words that he uses to talk about this man of God. Chapter 2, verse 25, he says, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Paul says it was necessary to send back Epaphroditus, that he had no other choice. He felt compelled to send him back to the church. He then goes on to use three terms starting with my to describe how much he meant personally to Paul. And the first way he describes him is as his brother. Now this isn't a throwaway description. Paul was a Jew and Epaphroditus was a Gentile. The fact that alone that he called him a brother was very significant. I know today at church we kind of use the term brother or sister when we're talking to someone that we don't know who their name is. So we say, good morning, brother. 
Nice to see you, dear sister. But this isn't a throwaway term. In fact, what's happening here is very important. Paul is practicing what he preaches. In Galatians 3.28, Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. When we come to Christ, we've been adopted by the Father. And so we are His sons and daughters. But that also means now we are brothers and sisters. The world wants to define us by all sorts of things and all sorts of categories and separate us now more than ever before. But that's not how we're supposed to look at each other in the church. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Look around this morning. You're looking at your family this morning. And what's so amazing, especially when we come to the Lord's table every Sunday, it's, it's us celebrating the fact that we are here as a family in Christ, united because of His death and resurrection. And so calling each other brother or sister, it, it shouldn't be a, a throwaway title that we do, but it really has a deep meaning to it. And so that's the first way that Paul describes him. The second way is as a fellow worker. Paul and Epaphroditus, they were working toward the same goal. They had the same mission. And Paul calls him his co-laborer. He, he doesn't call him his employee. He, he certainly could have as the apostle, Epaphroditus, certainly was ranked a little lower than him, but he didn't see him that way on the mission field. He saw him as his equal, his co-worker for the sake of Christ. And what I've seen in my life is when brothers and sisters work together for the same mission of advancing the kingdom of God, there, there forms a very tight bond between brothers and sisters when they're working together. And Paul uses this term fellow worker 13 times in the New Testament. Or, or this term is used 13 times in the New Testament. Paul uses it 12 out of the 13 times. And every time he uses it, he's referring to a close, affectionate partnership between him and someone else. It's not just some casual term that he's throwing out. So that's the second way he describes him as fellow worker. The third is as a fellow soldier. So Paul and Epaphroditus, they had spent time on the battlefield. But the battle they were fighting, it wasn't a physical battle. They weren't teaming up together to take down the Roman government. They weren't scheming together under house arrest how they could overthrow the Roman guard that was there overseeing them. Their battle was a spiritual battle that they were fighting as fellow soldiers. Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Their battle as soldiers was against Satan. Their battle as soldiers was against the culture of the world. It was against the spiritual darkness that was causing false teachers to arise. This was what their battle was. And I love this idea of a soldier for Christ. 
You know, when I think of a soldier, a few things come to mind. First is that a soldier isn't afraid of the fight. A soldier isn't someone who cowers when things get tough. A soldier is someone who is prepared. A soldier knows his enemy. But more than that, a soldier knows his weapon. A soldier trains with his weapon. A soldier knows the tools that he has at his disposal. The soldiers spend time and time familiarizing themselves with their weapons so that when they're on the battlefield, when they're in the midst of chaos, they're not having to try to think back, what, what was it that I read about this gun? How do I load it properly? Where do I keep the ammo? No, they know exactly where everything is to where in an instinct they can pull it out and be ready to fight. And the same should be true about us with our weapon as soldiers. We should familiarize ourselves so much with this book inside and out that when we're on the battlefield, we're not having to fumble around trying to think, what, what was that verse that I read 10 years ago that said this about that? No, but that we are ready in the midst of chaos to pull out our weapon to fight the enemy. So this is what a fellow soldier of Christ looks like. A soldier also is there for his team. A soldier doesn't leave a friend in battle. And the soldier is also focused on the mission. And so this is the way that Paul uses to, this is the way he describes Epaphroditus as a brother, a fellow worker, and a soldier. These are all very high regards. I think all of us would love if the Apostle Paul described us in this way. So Paul's wanting to, the church, he's wanting to make sure that the church knows just how much Epaphroditus meant to him as he sent him back early to give this report to the church. Now quickly, I would like to look at verses 26 and 27 that talk about Epaphroditus' illness. Verses 26, it says, Since he was longing for you all, and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So what Paul is saying is if, if God didn't miraculously raise him up on his deathbed, it, it would have been a sorrowful time for Paul to, to lose his good friend and fellow worker and soldier, Epaphroditus. And so you might read this and be thinking, how did Paul allow for him to get to his deathbed? He was an apostle. Why didn't he just raise him up as soon as he started having the sniffles? Why didn't he just heal him like he had healed people before? We've seen examples of Paul being used under the power of God to heal people. If you can remember in Acts when a young, probably teenager, since he fell asleep during preaching, um, Eutychus, he, he fell asleep while Paul was preaching and fell out of the window of a two-story building. It says he was lying there dead and Paul raised him up and 
took him back to the upper room and went on to preach for about five more hours until the sun came up. And then we see also in Acts on the island of, of Malta, it says that all who were sick came to Paul and were healed. So we know that Paul has been used in the past to heal people. Why didn't he raise up Epaphroditus in this moment? Why was it that he almost died? Surely Epaphroditus had faith. Surely he was a man of God. Surely Paul had faith. What I want to highlight in this is that many evangelists, many people in the evangelical world today will tell you that if you're a man of faith, if you have enough faith, if you speak the right things into existence, that you, sh- you should never be sick. You should walk in, in wealth and health and never experience tribulation if you are a person who has enough faith. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. In fact, Paul says that he had to go through his life with a thorn in his flesh so that God would humble him. Paul had faith, but he had some sort of physical ailment all his life. We see in John chapter 9 and verses 1 through 3, it says, as, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus went on to heal the man. And the reality is that our spirit is alive in Christ, but we still have to live in this mortal, decaying body that is rotten with sin. But how many of y'all have have seen in your life that you've been through an illness, you've been through a suffering, you've been through some sort of physical ailment, and you've seen God work through that? You've seen God have mercy on you, and once you get to the other side, you you see, wow, no, it was actually God's will that I went through this because it it brought a sanctification out of me. I've seen how He has used it to draw me closer to Him. And I believe this is what is happening with Epaphroditus here. And unfortunately, one day all of us are going to experience a physical death. But that's going to be a great day for all of us because in that moment we will receive our glorified bodies. Charles Spurgeon once said, Resurrection will accomplish for our bodies what regeneration accomplished for our souls. And so don't get me wrong, I believe, I genuinely believe that God can and still does heal people today. I've seen that in my life. I've seen that in in countless lives. In fact, there's been two men here at the church just over the past month who have gone to have a heart cath because their doctor sent them there for fear of severe blockage in their arteries. Only for both of them to have the test done and the doctors be astonished that their arteries were perfectly clear. So I know that God still does heal today. 
But notice in verse 27, Paul tells us that God had mercy on Epaphroditus. When God does heal our physical bodies, it's an act of mercy. In fact, all, all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the Gospels, when people approach Jesus for healing, the, the first thing they often say is, have mercy on me. They, they cry out to Jesus for mercy before they ask for healing. And any time God raises up those who are sick, especially those who are on their deathbed like we see with Epaphroditus, it's sort of a dress rehearsal. It's, it's giving us a glimpse of what's to come when we are raised up and glorified with our eternal bodies. But anytime we're sick, it's an up-close and personal reminder of the effects of sin. Not necessarily the, your sin in your life, but sin as a whole and, and the effects that that has had on humanity. So I want to encourage you next time you're sick that that would just draw you all the closer to God because it's, it's a reminder of how weak we are and the results of, of sin and, and what that can not just do to our body but do to our soul and that that would draw us closer to the one who can have mercy and does have mercy on us. And so the, the passage closes out by saying in verse 28, Paul says, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus was eager to get back to Philippi because he was concerned with how they were feeling once they heard that he was sick. He didn't want to get back because he was homesick. He didn't want to get back because he missed his cozy bed. He wasn't concerned about himself. He was concerned about his brothers and sisters. He was concerned about his, his church family. And Paul was eager for him to get back because he knew it would be good for Epaphroditus and the church. He knew it would be encouraging to the church when he wrote this letter telling them of, of how much of an encouragement Epaphroditus had been to him. And Paul says that Epaphroditus risked his life to come to Rome. This phrase that is used here in the Greek is actually a term that refers to gambling. It's actually saying that he rolled the dice on his trip. That he, he was literally putting his life on the line to go for the cause of Christ. It was a gamble. And shortly after the New Testament times, as this account of Epaphroditus had spread through the early church, there was an association form that they were called the Parabolani, which that's the Greek word for this risking his life. And it, this was translated as the gamblers. They were known as the gamblers. And taking Epaphroditus as their role model, what this ministry association did is, is they traveled 
to prisons and they ministered to those who were deathly sick that nobody else wanted to minister to. They ministered to those that had transmittable diseases that nobody wanted to get close to because they were, fear, they were in fear of getting sick themselves. And so they were so inspired by this account of Epaphroditus and, and this wording that Paul uses here to gamble his life, to risk his life, that they forsook all for the cause of Christ, similar to how Epaphroditus did. And so this was the type of man that Epaphroditus was. He was someone who risked everything for the gospel. He was a brother in Christ. He was a fellow worker in Christ. He was a soldier in Christ. And so what does this passage mean for us today? Does this have any implication for us today? Or was this just a letter written 2,000 years ago to an early church in Philippi? Are these just travel plans that aren't relevant for us today? I don't think that's the case. I think the Word of God was not just written for those at the time, but it was written for us today. And there's huge implications in this story for us as believers You see, most of us in our walk with God will be an Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus wasn't a pastor. He wasn't even an elder like Timothy was. He was just a layman in the church who was faithful, who was trustworthy, who was dependable, who was willing to do whatever was asked of him for the cause of Christ. And this should be what is said about all of us. You know, not all of us in here are called to be pastors or elders or deacons or worship leaders. If you could say amen to that, you probably wouldn't do too well up here on a microphone or behind a keyboard this morning. I can say amen to that. Um, I'm very thankful for Brother David and Justin to lead us in worship may not be called to to lead any ministry, but that doesn't mean that you just become a consumer here at Destiny Church and say, well, I'm I'm not called to be a leader of a ministry, so there's no place for me to serve here at the church. If that was the stance that Epaphroditus took, he never would have been used to go on this mission. So I believe all of us are called to be an Epaphroditus. All of us are called to serve. All of us are called to be ready. All of us are called to pick up our cross and follow Jesus, no matter what the cost. To humble ourselves and say, here here I am, Lord. Use me. See, Epaphroditus was willing to put his life on the line simply to advance the gospel. Simply to, to minister to the Apostle Paul. He was an ordinary man who was used by God to do extraordinary things. And that's all of us in here today. All of us were once professional sinners. That was our profession. That that came natural to us. We didn't have to think about it. Sinning was what we did best. But by the grace and mercy of God, we've been redeemed. We've been set free. And so now we have a new identity. 
We're called to take up our cross and follow Jesus. But there wasn't anything extraordinary about Epaphroditus other than the fact that he was willing. There wasn't a huge skill involved. It wasn't a technical job that he did to get on a horse and ride it for 800 miles. Be very technical for me. I've never saddled up a horse, let alone got on one before. I know how can that be in Texas, but I'm a fan of the San Antonio Spurs. I don't know how to put on a pair of spurs, so. But it didn't take a lot of talent. It just took a heart and a willingness. And this reminds me of the team that we send to Mexico every year that goes with Justin Clark. You, you can ask Justin about the teams that go. You, you don't have to know Spanish. You don't, know how, how, you don't need to know how to build. You don't need to know how to paint. You don't need to know how to communicate with them. You just have to be willing to go. And in doing so, God will use you in ways that you never knew possible. And it's not just with that team. That's how it is in the kingdom of God. That's how it is in in all areas of ministry. You just have to be willing. You just have to be willing to give up of your time. Willing to give up of what's comfortable. Willing to say, "I'm, I'm here, Lord. Use me however you would want me to be used. If that means going to Mexico for a week, the day after Christmas, to go and build a home. If that means traveling 800 miles to Rome. Whatever it takes. To advance your kingdom, here I am, Lord. This is the man that Epaphroditus was. And this is who we should be willing to be. And the goal of this isn't so that we'll be honored. Yes, Paul tells them to honor this man of God, but that's not why we do it. That's not why we get into a ministry to serve, is is for honor. In fact, if you're wanting to be involved in in a ministry because of some sort of recognition, you're going to become disappointed very quickly. And if that's why you're doing it, more than likely you'll get burnt out. You'll say, this isn't for me. Well, yeah, it's not for you if the reason you're doing it is to be recognized. We're doing it. (laughs) We, We serve the Lord. We lay down our lives for the glory of God and for the advancement of His kingdom and for the love of his bride, for the love of his church, for the love of his people. That's what we saw with Epaphroditus. He was so eager to get home because he had a love and a concern for his church family. The saying is is used a lot. You've probably heard it before, but to have the the source of true joy, there's an acrostic, J-O-Y. It starts with you, you... To be truly joyful, you have to put Jesus first, then others, and then yourself. And that's so true in ministry. If you want to be joyful in ministry, keep your eyes on Jesus, and then on those that you're serving, and then you can worry about yourself later. Because if, if, if those are out of alignment, you'll, you'll get very dissatisfied quickly in ministry. You, you can get upset with leadership or feel like you're not getting the recognition you're deserving of. But if your focus is on Christ and His love for you, 
and what he has done for you and what he has sacrificed for you and then on serving his bride. How can you not be joyful in that whether you get the recognition or not? But thankfully, we have a church full of Epaphroditus's. You know, a church doesn't get to be 80 years old if everybody in the church is just concerned with their own wants and desires. And I see that today. There, there's many men and women here in the church that are worthy of honor and recognition for the sacrifice and the time of service that they've put in here at the church. And so I want to encourage you to do that, to be people who honor those who are serving here at the church. You know, parents, when you go to pick up your kids this morning, honor our children's volunteers. They are worthy of honor this morning, of the time and sacrifice that they give so that you can be sitting in here being ministered by the Word of God. Our greeters, our ushers, our worship team, our security team, our, our sound and projection team, how many of you are glad that you can hear me this morning? You know, it takes someone to say, here I am, I'm willing, so that y'all can hear me, so that the air feels good in here, so that you can be comfortable in, in this wonderful building. It takes people to dedicate their time and efforts. So I want to challenge you to be one of those people. Be someone who's worthy of honor. And again, not for yourself, but for Christ and for His bride. And as you do that, I, I truly believe that that's where the most joy comes from. I believe that Epaphroditus was one of the most joyful people on the earth because he had a love for Christ and he had a love for the people of Christ. So in closing today, I just want to ask you that. Are, are you an Epaphroditus? Are you someone who has their priorities lined up where it is Jesus first and then His church and then yourself? If not, I would challenge you to read the, the first two chapters of Philippians over and over again. So you can be someone who you say, yes, I, I am someone who truly desires to do something not from selfish ambition or from conceit, but in humility. That I do count others more worthy than myself. Now, as you do this, like I said, you, you will find contentment as you keep your eyes on glorifying God, on being someone who's living for the cause of Christ, who's a co-worker in ministry, who's a fellow soldier, as you do this, you will find a joy and a contentment that's indescribable. I've seen it in my life time and time again. Talk to Pastor Terry. Talk to Justin. Talk to Eric, our, our sound man. He'll, he'll tell you there, there is a joy that comes when you give of your time serving the people of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the life and example we have of Epaphroditus. 
Lord, I thank you for the life of Paul that even though he was locked up in prison, he still cared enough about the church in Philippi to take time to put pen to paper in this segment of the text because he cared about the church and he didn't want to see them divided. Lord, in this passage today, we are so aware of what it looks like to care for your church. God, that we would be willing and able and ready to do whatever you ask us to do to advance your kingdom. Lord, that the first thing that comes to our mind when maybe we're approached to serve isn't all the reasons why it would be hard on us or difficult for us, but that the first thing that comes to mind is that the bride of Christ needs my help. How can I serve? Lord, that's only a work that can be done by your Holy Spirit. Lord, in ourselves, we, we have no desire to serve others, to lay down ourselves for others, to sacrifice for others. It's only you working through us. It's only you sanctifying us by the fruit of your Spirit. So Lord, I pray that you would do that more and more with our members here at Destiny Church. Lord, that we would be a church where every member is an Epaphroditus. God, that we, we don't just show up here saying, here I am, Lord, minister to me. Here I am, how, how can this service entertain me today? But that we would have our eyes open on how we could serve. Lord, we do this to glorify you. We do this to lift up the name that's higher than any other name. We do this because of your son and because of his sacrifice and what his sacrifice accomplished for us. So Lord, I pray that as we are serving, that we would keep Jesus in focus and keep his church in focus and then ourselves, that we would get that in line. Help us, Lord, as we desire to live this out. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.